Thou hast delivered us, O Lord, from them that afflict us, and hast put them to shame that hate us. Words taken from today's gradual psalm. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thomas Paine was a famous author of pamphlets during the American Revolution. Thomas Paine's great gift was an ability to bolster the morale of those who are wavering and vacillating in regards to the cause of the American Revolution. A famous line from one of his pamphlets reads, quote, these are the times that try men's souls, unquote. In other words, the hard battle that was about to be fought would be a severe test for the colonists against the mighty British Empire. Tyranny, like hell, Payne stated, is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us, that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. Thomas Paine knew that ordinary men tended to be fickle and uncommitted to a cause, especially when there was resistance. When the cause is easy and unopposed, everyone is on board. But when suffering comes to men, the supposed friends of the movement surrender, they abandon ship, they run for cover, and even betray the cause. As Thomas Paine puts it, quote, the summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will in this crisis shrink from the service of his country, unquote. But for those, those few, that do persevere in the movement during dark times, Paine assured them that they will have, quote, deserve the love and thanks of man and woman, unquote. And just think of what was suffered to gain independence from the British Empire. As many of you might know, many of those who signed the Declaration of Independence suffered greatly. But they put America first, come what may. Five signers of that document were captured by the British as traitors and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons in the Revolutionary Army. Another had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 fought and died from wounds or hardships in connection with the Revolutionary War. But they signed the Declaration of Independence knowing full well that the penalty would be death if they were captured. Carter Braxton of Virginia, another signer, was a wealthy planter and trader. He saw all his ships swept from the seas by the British Navy. He sold his home and properties to pay his debts and died in rags. Thomas McKean, who placed his name also upon that document, was so hounded by the British that he was forced to move his family almost constantly. He served in Congress without pay and his family was kept in hiding. His possessions were taken from him and his poverty became his reward. Vandals or soldiers or both looted the properties of many of those present at Independence Hall in Philadelphia. And at the Battle of Yorktown, the signer Thomas Nelson Jr. noted that the British General Cornwallis had taken over the Nelson family home for his headquarters. Yet the owner of that home quietly urged George Washington to open fire upon the house. The home was destroyed and Nelson died bankrupt. 
Another signer, Francis Lewis, had his home and properties destroyed. The enemy jailed his wife, and she died within a few months. A signer, John Hart, was driven from his wife's bedside as she was dying. The 13 children fled for their lives. His fields and gristmill were laid to waste. For more than a year, he lived in forests and caves, returning home to find his wife dead and his children vanished. A few weeks later, he died from exhaustion and a broken heart. They lost much, if not all, for the love of a future country of freemen. Standing tall, straight, and unwavering, they pledged, quote, for the support of this declaration, with firm reliance on the protection of the divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor, unquote. Well, in this month of November, we also remember many holy and poor souls who fought the good fight in the church militant below. They took up their cross, but they also suffered injuries to the soul and are being cleansed in those painful purging fires in the church suffering. Purgatory is not an easy place. It's a place of purgation. It's a place of fiery cleansing. It's a place of temporary chastisement where satisfaction to the divine justice is paid to the very last penny. As one person put it, quote, when you're in purgatory, you're not in some waiting room. You're on fire and you are burning. You are suffering. And most frustrating of all, none of your prayers will be effective. You cannot appeal to God's mercy there. You are stuck there until you have been cleansed by fire, unquote. There is a double pain in purgatory that the faithful friends of Christ must endure. The remains of sin on the soul, as well as any venial sins that were never repented of, require this twofold punishment. One pain is a temporary loss of seeing God face to face. The soul, when it dies, sees more clearly than ever that God alone can satisfy it, and yet full union with him must wait. What a pain it must be when the fountain of eternal water is just beyond reach of a poor soul mad with thirst. The second temporary pain is that of a real fire that burns. Yes, fire, fire that burns. Purgatory shares, as every saint has said, purgatory shares in the very fires of hell. Hellfire that is used to punish the eternally damned is also used to burn away any remains of sin in the souls present in purgatory. As St. Augustine teaches, the great church father, quote, the fires of hell and the fires of purgatory are the same fires. The only difference is duration, the length of time they last. Hellfires are eternal, while purgatorial fires are temporary. Another church father, namely Pope St. Gregory the Great, affirms this church teaching when he said, quote, the same fire that torments the damned also purifies the elect. It goes without saying 
But the pains in purgatory are truly painful, unlike any worldly pain that we could imagine. That holy Jesuit and church doctor, St. Robert Bellarmine, states that there is no comparison between the sufferings of what you experience here in this world and what you will suffer in purgatory. St. Thomas Aquinas, greatest of all church doctors, goes even further, telling us, quote, the smallest pain of purgatory surpasses all the sufferings of this life, no matter how great those earthly sufferings were. It is said that St. John Bosco, the great wondrous founder of the Salesians, the great dreamer of many dreams, St. John Bosco severely burned his hand by merely touching the most outer wall of hell. How much more dreadful then to be scorched by hell's fires while in purgatory. And hellfire is not like our fire in this world. In fact, our fire is cold in comparison with the fires of hell and purgatory. Therefore, let us pray for our brethren, pray for them below in the church suffering. And let us also pray for those holy and courageous souls, for those who have fought the good fight, that their time in that fire will be shortened. And let us help pay down their debts to the divine justice by having holy masses offered for them and by gaining many indulgences, be they partial or plenary, again for them. But let us also recognize their victory, how happy we are for them, their hard-fought fight. They were no sunshine patriots or summer soldiers. They didn't shy away from the cross, but they were true warriors that won their souls despite all the efforts of all the demons, the world, and the flesh to destroy them. They too fought for a cause, the cause of Christ the King and his kingdom, and they won. Great men have made great sacrifices. We ought to recognize them and support them. On the night of November 3rd, many of you know, we checked the results of the election, most likely. We have been told by our worldly masters that a blue wave was inevitable and that the president in particular was going to be humiliated and that the so-called ideology of Trumpism would be soundly rejected by the entire populace. But as the clock struck around 10 or 10.30 p.m., nervous pundits became very concerned. Markets were reacting, and the betting public were pointing to a definite re-election of the chief executive of, of our nation. And as the night wore on, Florida, which was usually always such a nail-biter, was firmly coming down in favor of the president. And Ohio became almost like a red landslide. Knowing that past presidential candidates that took those two states have won 26 out of the 27 last presidential elections. It's a sure bet. I began to have hope that despite all the world being against him, the president would prevail. But then strange, irregular things started to happen right before our eyes. 
various swing states or battleground states, they call them, that happened to have Democrat administration simply stopped counting votes for hours. They stopped. As they say in Mayor Daley's Chicago back in the 60s when he dominated that city, you stop counting because that's the only way you know how many votes you need to win. And as the tyrant Stalin always insisted, it's not the voter that counts, it's the one counting the votes that counts. And furthermore, one particular media network started calling states early for the other candidate, and a shift in momentum was clearly seen. One wonders whether this shift was a natural shift of momentum or perhaps more artificially manipulated. Well, it seems that sometime in the very wee hours of Wednesday morning, when we were all asleep, additional ballots were quote-unquote found and added to early totals which had the president ahead. And to no one's surprise, those votes were overwhelmingly, literally as much as 100% in some batches for Biden. According to that famous pollster, Nate Silver, one dump of nearly 24,000 votes that turned up in Philadelphia were all for Biden. Absent of some harvesting of ballots or fraud, or both, that's literally a logical and statistical impossibility. It's literally impossible to happen. Castro would be envious of such a result. And through the night, all such ballots came from heavily Democrat areas, posting unusually and even improbably high turnout. Turnout in the state of Wisconsin, for example, overall, is alleged to have been something like 90%, more than five standard deviations for the state's average turnout since 1960. Yet another statistical impossibility. In other words, listen here, the chances of that happening is one in 3.5 million. But note that this blue wave this blue Biden tsunami only happened in certain urban areas and not others. In other words, it happened in Milwaukee, but wasn't shown at all in Cleveland. It happened in Philadelphia, but strangely enough, didn't show up in St. Louis, this wave. In fact, Biden underperformed in those non-swing states, falling well below Hillary Clinton's numbers. He only outperformed Clinton where he had to, period. You know, it's interesting, when the United States officials, and they're asked all the time, when they're asked to help monitor elections in foreign countries in order to avoid a rigged election, those officials are told to look out for certain red flags, irregularities, and among them are, and this is official list of the UN, number one, red flag. The slowing or stopping of counting ballots, major red flag. Number two, delaying in reporting numbers, not letting people know what's going on regarding the count. Number three, improbably high concentrations of voting in certain places and not others. Number four, 
exponentially high voter participation and more voters than actual number of ballots that were officially handed out, both suggesting perhaps a little stuffing of the ballot box. All this will have to be looked into, and we should stand patiently by during this process, despite all the inevitable calls from the elites to give up, to become demoralized and face facts. I've spoken about before how demoralization is the greatest weapon of the enemy. These are the times that try men's souls. Tyranny like hell is not easily conquered, yet we have this consolation with us that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. We owe it to this president of ours. He is no sunshine patriot, no summer soldier, but rather in many cases a happy warrior. And he has fought, and yes, he and his family have suffered greatly through the last four plus years. They have been savaged by the media, savaged by their own government. He has received more incoming from the media, the deep state bureaucracy, intelligence agencies aimed against him, government officials, big tech, globalists, elitists, and he's still standing. He's always optimistic. He's always the happy warrior, never cowering, never surrendering, always getting up in the morning. Even a very strong character would have thrown the towel a long time ago. What's the point? What's the use? Various attempted silent coups, the unjust weaponizing of impeachment, and even the COVID-19 that he got could not put this man down for long. His energy is beyond comprehension. And people responded. All those rallies, four, five a day, some with nearly 60,000 people out in the cold and in the snow, inspired the average person to follow the lead of this, their champion. Do you realize that he received 8 million more votes than he got in 2016, and that he helped greatly all those down-ballot candidates running for Senate or the House of Representatives and what amounted, in a sense, to a small red wave, at least in the U.S. House of Representatives and the state legislatures as well. People came out because of his efforts. We were put through the Russian interference hoax by the other side for years. But I'd rather have to deal with a few ad buys on Facebook by some Russian bot versus having real election fraud in our own country. It's going to be quite an interesting set of days ahead of us and weeks to come. The media does not determine the man who would be president. Rather, that is done by the constitutional process that is still yet to happen. Romney and Jeb Bush are not the ones who concede to anybody. Only the president concedes. No matter what happens, we have been given an example of a fighter, a man who gave a voice to the voiceless, especially the unborn. And his legacy will remain. And he truly deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.